0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another Overflow pod. In this pod, we're looking at breaking the destructive patterns in your life. And these patterns keep you from being the person you wish to become. And in order to break any destructive pattern in your life, we must first recognize the truth. And in today's world, it's harder to see the truth than ever before. Because if we see it, then we think it's true. But in today's world, that isn't the case. Let me explain I have two teenage girls in my house and a boy who's less than a year away from making it three. One of the biggest troubles that I think kids have right now is social media. They spend so much time on TikTok, Snap, Instagram, Discord, and whatever else you like. And it's just, it's just crazy. They don't watch TV at all, but they do watch YouTube, but that's it. Side note, I wonder what's gonna happen to network TV at all in the future, because kids don't watch it. So what happens when they become adults? They're not going to watch it then probably either. And as the trend continues, huh, everything should change. Anyway, they see pictures of musicians, celebrities, famous people that they look up to, and they end up judging themselves on how they stack up. I would say to them, but you're looking at their absolute best with makeup done by professionals, lighting done by professionals, posing for maximum benefit. There's a way to pose as you eat food. Did you know that? It's crazy. And even artificial enhancement, you know, plastic surgery. They even take like 40 to 50 photos and eventually pick the best one and then post it. It's not, ooh, let's take a picture and post it. Oh, no, no, no. It could take hours for just one photo. And all you see is the finished product. If you see them getting out of bed in the morning, you'd be like, who are you? (laughs) They never say, let's pick the ugliest photo and post it. No. Yet we believe what we see is the truth, even though we know all about the wonders of Photoshop, makeup, lighting, and plastic surgery. Unfortunately, we are influenced by these false pictures and videos and have it shape our concept of beauty. This in turn makes us feel inferior or strive for an unobtainable standard. This false standard of reality isn't just limited to photos or our view of beauty, but to our view of who we are as a people. It's not even limited to that, but how it affects every area of our life, even how we perceive everything, because we are influenced through either poor teaching or things in the media or things in society that has shaped our false understanding of reality. Hence, the truth then becomes difficult to see. Take, for example, God. How is God taught in the media, if he's taught at all, in society, in schools, even in church? When I grew up, what I was taught was the notion that God is ready to condemn you, that he's the great accountant in the sky, that if you have too many debts, spiritually speaking, he's going gonna, gonna to zap you, kill you. So you had better ask Jesus into your heart to forgive you of your sins or else hell's waiting for you. Well, the truth is when you look at the Bible, you see about God, he's a merciful God, he's a loving God. The Bible gives you a picture of his loving character. He's not fast to anger. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. He binds up the brokenhearted. He gives hope to the hopeless. He always has compassion on those who are suffering. But we are taught and shown differently by everyone else. But if we study God's word, we can get an accurate picture of who God is. You know, the Bible also gives us an accurate picture of who we are. You see, the Bible is truth. And that is where we need to start to break down the destructive patterns in our lives. We need a standard. But before we get to that standard, before we look to the truth, let's do a little exercise to see, are we really fooling ourselves? Do we really have some destructive patterns that maybe are hiding or maybe that we're afraid to admit? So if you're in the car or somewhere, you can only listen to this. You know, later when you're able to take out a piece of paper, draw a circle, And then start in the center and draw out seven lines. And these are like the spokes on a wheel or a circle. You can imagine it like a big piece of pizza pie or a big wheel of cheese. Yes, yes, you can tell I love food. This is the wheel of food. I mean, the wheel of life. Each of these areas are seven areas in your life. You have spiritual, mental, family, career, personal, financial, and physical. Now, for the interesting and difficult part, Rate yourself 1 to 10 in each area. So how do you rate yourself spiritually? Start there. Maybe label these lines. So that first line maybe write spiritual. Now, where are you? Maybe you go to church. Maybe you pray and read his word occasionally, but you could be a lot closer to God. But you're not doing terrible. So maybe you give yourself a 6 to an 8, somewhere around there. Or maybe you're doing great. Give yourself a 9. Or maybe you're not doing so good and you give yourself a 5 then put it along the line. So if it's five, you put it right in the middle. If it's a seven, move it three quarters of the way up towards the outer circle. Then we're going to do that with each of the lines. So next line we look at or the next spoke is mental, our mentality. This also embraces our emotional and our psychological development, how well we take care of ourselves. What's our education like? Maybe you didn't go to college, but you feel you're mentally strong. Maybe give yourself a six to an eight. Then put yourself correspondingly on the circle. But maybe you have a lot of education. Maybe you know yourself really well. Maybe you give yourself a nine, whatever it is. Or maybe you don't know yourself well and give yourself a lower grade. Or maybe you're not doing good emotionally. You should do it accordingly. Put the number on there. Mark it on the circle. Or on the line, I should say. Then let's move on to family. I'm gonna use myself as an example here. I think I'm a pretty good dad and husband, but I have a lot of faults, but nothing too crazy. I rate myself pretty well, but I don't ever talk to my mom. And if my dad doesn't call me, I probably would not remember to call him simply because it's not part of my thought process. Not because I don't like him. Just give myself maybe here a five. So I'm gonna put my mark halfway on the line to the outer circle. Rate myself a five. Now, personal. Stands for me time. How well do you take care of yourself? and things that you do just for you. You know, we're not really good at us, our time. Maybe you might give yourself a spa day or a manicure or pedicure or or go out for an Eagles game or whatever you do just to treat yourself well. You go ahead and rate yourself in this category. If you treat yourself really well, then give yourself eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. If not, you know where to rank it. Now, financially, are you where you want to be? Rate yourself. And then lastly, physically. Now, hopefully you'll have on every line you have a dot. Now, I want you to connect the dots from each line. And that'll represent your wheel. Hopefully, your wheel will merge. Now, some of you have really weird looking wheels and other you it's kind of like a circle. Hard to say. Now, judging from the outside, the perfect wheel, that circle with everything as a 10, it runs pretty smooth. But how smooth is your ride of life? Look at your circle. Look at how you rated yourself. You know, how is your ride? Is it bumpy? (laughs) But there is some good news. It doesn't matter how bumpy your ride is. With God's help, he can help you smooth out that ride. And I'll be honest, how many of you want life to go so much smoother? So let's look at God's Word to get that smoother ride in life. And we're going to look at Peter and his first encounter with Jesus, Luke 5, 1-11. This is where he's called as, as a disciple. And one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out your deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now on you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now usually when we read this passage, we think, Oh man, what an incredible first time event encountering Jesus. was so miraculous. Look at this. Four guys immediately gave up their lives and followed Jesus. Now, was this their first time meeting Jesus? Now, I never thought about this before, before I looked at this. And there are different chronological orders of when Jesus met Peter. Was it here or when Jesus healed his mother-in-law? Think about that. Peter had a mother-in-law. means Peter was married. Because in Luke, the priesthood, previous chapter, Luke 4, 38 and 39, it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So, he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now, in Matthew, the order is reversed. The chronologies don't match. So, is this a problem? It is if we apply our 20th century understanding of how to write applies to first century literature. You get into a lot of problems like that. It's like comparing poetry to prose. You just can't do it. That's the first issue. Second, Matthew organizes his gospel by topic, kind of like an old school encyclopedia, while Luke organizes his by geography, kind of like an atlas. So Mark tends to borrow from both, so we can't really count on Mark for anything. And third, none of the Gospels are strictly chronological, although they all start somewhere with a birth or the birth of John the Baptist. I actually think it makes Peter leaving his job much easier to handle and makes a lot more sense if Jesus heals his mother-in-law first, goes to his house the night before. And it makes sense for Peter, Andrew, James, and John to leave after experiencing his teaching and many healings of people along with the lots of fish caught. It also makes Peter's confession of him being a sinful man much easier to understand. Would he say he's such a sinful man if it was just that he didn't believe at that one moment? No, he would say, oh, forgive me of my unbelief. But there's something more going on in Peter's life that makes him feel so sinful than just not believing at that one time. So I think he actually, you know, I think that he met. That it's actually Luke 4 where he healed the mother-in-law, taught them for a while, and then later on he went into the boat. And Peter, well, he doesn't stay perfect. He messes up quite a few times. In fact, he is like a picture of anyone called by God. Now, I love it how he is the, he's also, it seems like he's like a great representative of humanity as the first disciple called by Jesus. Why? Because he constantly messes up. He's just like all of us. I mean, the Bible lists 13 of his failures. Some small ones, some serious ones. And he keeps, like, here's one. He keeps little children from Jesus. He gets in trouble. He wants to be the greatest. He says, Jesus doesn't have to die for us. He says, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. He falls asleep in the middle of Jesus' most desperate hour. He commits violence against a guard when Jesus is being arrested. He denies him three times in a night. Peter is a hot mess he's just like us, constantly falling into the destructive patterns of his life. But God never gives up on him, just like he never gives up on us. Even after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, Peter goes back to fishing. John 21, 1 to 13. This takes place after he dies on the cross. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped the outer garment around him for he had taken it off. He jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. About a hundred yards when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now think about this. Peter didn't know what to do. He was lost and struggling. He watched his Lord die and then rise again. He followed Jesus for three years, but still had so many bad patterns in his life that he couldn't break. He probably felt unworthy, depressed, and not up to be a fisher of men, not up to the calling that Jesus had given to him. But then Jesus appears again, and he couldn't wait, so he jumped out of the boat into the water. Now think, I, it's silly? can you swim faster in the boat? I guess he could. I mean, but he couldn't wait that extra minute or two. He had to go. And right after that, he talks to him in The next verse, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs." Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't give up on Peter, even with all of his weakness and failures. Also notice that Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't bring up his past. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, you love me. That I love you, and this is what I want you to do in the future. See, every time we look at Peter, when things get tough, guess what he does? He goes back to his default mode. I'll say this. Peter wasn't a very good fisherman, because every story in the Bible about Peter fishing, he never catches anything, nothing, unless Jesus is with him, which is an entirely different story. Unless Jesus is in the boat with him, he never catches a thing. But if you want to break out of the destruction patterns in your life, the first thing you got to do is break out of your default setting. And That's what Peter has to do. We all have them. When life comes and hits us hard, what do we usually do? We go back to what helped us in the past, our default setting. And it usually is not the best or right thing to do. And it messes up our lives because we go right back into the destructive patterns that we want to leave. Siblings know how to press each other's buttons and children know how to press their parents' buttons. I can tell you that. And whenever buttons are pushed or whenever the heat gets turned up, we go back to our default setting. You got to break free from that. It may be a lack of forgiveness. It may be ripping off an emotional scab that gets you going every single time something happens, some sort of trigger. You got to somehow to avoid the default setting, which means that you don't revert to your old ways of thinking when times are tough gotta break out of those old ways of thinking years ago one night my blood pressure went up to like 250 over 180 my heart rate was at like 260 ish and we my wife and i drove to the hospital they found out i was an afib gave me all kinds of medicine like nitroglycerin and stuff they gave me test after test after test they checked out my heart in every way possible and the end result was i had afib it's an electrical problem with the heart but not a structural one and so they told me i need to lose weight so when I got home, I joined a gym to swim as I had a bad hip and I can't really do anything. And I lost 70 pounds and was feeling great. The AFib went away and I thought, great, gained back a few pounds, but that's no big deal. And I was still overweight, but I thought it was fine. But then COVID came and hit. And the pool where I swam at every day got rid of my lap lane so that high schools could swim there because they would pay them. So they didn't care about my membership because the schools paid more. So I had no choice and left the gym. But with COVID, you know how things got. And I went back to food as a coping mechanism. And I failed. Facing this, I realized that, you know what? I still struggle with destructive patterns in my life. And this is tough to admit. In fact, I've been on a, uh, a goal-setting change challenge. And I just failed miserably. And, and I was trying to figure out why and trying to figure out what's going on. And as I was trying to prepare this message for like three weeks, I couldn't give it because God was telling me, dude, you still have destructive patterns in your life. How are you supposed to talk about it? And I realized, you know what? That's my problem. I made the cardinal mistake that when times get tough, you got to revert to your old ways of thinking. You got to break out of your default setting if you want to break free of destructive patterns in your life or else you're going to go back to stage one. It is discouraging and depressing. So what can we do? See, once you stop going to your default setting, you can turn to a new setting. So once you get rid of your default setting, or you start to fight it, second, you need to discover your why. To get to the key to change is having a big enough reason to change. The first reason I had to change was I was going to die. (laughs) That's a great reason to change. But then... It wasn't enough because I started feeling a little bit healthy, but as the AFib comes back, and you know what, the last couple of weeks the AFib has come back, and it's not been fun. And even though I weigh a lot less, it's still back, and I have to realize, you know what, I gotta get serious about this. I wanna be there in ca- just in case my kids have grandkids that I can torture them with, which I'm hoping for. Because every parent who has a teenager deserves a grandchild. A grandchild that they can torture their children back with. <laughs> That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But when you're dealing with teenagers, that's the only hope I have keeping me going. You know, I'm just kidding. But seriously, we need to come up with a why of why we need to change. Why do we need to break out of this destructive pattern? When you say to yourself, I'm thoroughly disgusted, or the pain is too much, or I'm just ready to change. This is what happened to me. because I didn't want to die. But guess what? After a little success, I had setbacks we right back to it. So in order to change, you have to discover your why. have to tap into it. Now, Peter's why for following Jesus initially was, was fleeting. His why was power and fame. He thought he was signing up to be in the Messiah's shadow. He was going to be right next to the ruler. He was thinking of a political kingdom. It was why. When it didn't pay well, he went back to default mode. There are a lot of books out there on how to. People always want to know how to do something, how to change. But that's not the question. There are books on how to, but knowing your why for change is essential. You have to tap into that reason, why you want to change. What is it for you? Whatever destructive habit that keeps tearing you down, every time you try to change, what is your why you want to change? Because if your why you want to change is not great enough, you are not going to be able to hold it. You got to discover it. You got to grasp it. Hold on to it. So how do we change? What's next once we discover our why? Paul talks about it. You don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? Third, you gotta change the tape in your head. Sometimes we have a tape in our head that tells us about who we are and what makes us tick. It's been ingrained in us from our childhood, reinforced by our failures and success in the world. But in almost every case, it's a tape full of lies about ourselves. The tape can come from what others think and say about us or our success. If we're successful, we think we don't need God. If we fail, we're, we're not good enough for God. If we succeed, but it wasn't due to us, we feel guilty and insecure. All kinds of thoughts get played over and over in our heads and brainwash us to believe about ourselves, God, and the world in a certain way because we are influenced by our perceived truth that we see in the media and in the world, and from people around us. But what we need here is the truth. We need the truth about how God views us from his word, how we are his precious children, and how he has a plan and purpose for our lives, and how we are important. We need to renew our minds. When our minds are renewed, then we don't have to have so many competing ideas. With no competing ideas, then we can hear and understand and prove what God's will is. That means you just gotta watch your heart. Watch your attitude. Watch your thoughts. Don't just entertain anything that comes into your head. You need to be on the very guard of the thoughts and attitudes in your heart and your mind because maybe they don't come from you. Maybe they were taught to you inappropriately or improperly. Got to change the tape in our head and stop listening to our critics. Change your thoughts. Change the tape. What does the tape in your head say about yourself? What does it say about your failures, about your success? What guilt are you feeling because of the tape playing over and over in your head? You got to change it. Mine says you've been this way for 25 years. What makes you think you can do change? You're incompetent. Even if you do change, you're just going to revert back to the way you were. It's inevitable. I kind of feel like Thanos says that in my head. It's inevitable, Matt. You'll just go backwards. Watch Avengers Gain if you didn't get that. Anyway, so renew your mind and change the tape to play what God thinks of you, what God wants you to do and how God wants you to feel about yourself and the value he places on you. It's so important to see that place where you want to go, that accomplishment, that breakthrough, that healing, whatever area that has a particular need in. You need to see reaching that potential or that need being met. So fourthly, visualize reaching your life, your new life, and your breakthrough. Visualize it. Now, psychologically, this is very, very important. Sounds kind of (laughs) hokey. I'll tell you from the Bible, it talks about it. Here's a few people. There's a woman with an issue of blood, and she said to herself, if I could just reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. And she was. Blind Bartimaeus, who was incapable of seeing, but could visualize the Messiah coming out to him, The two blind men following Jesus the whole way, calling out to him, Jesus, son of David, recognizing him as the Messiah, even though they couldn't see. The woman whose daughter was demon-possessed in Matthew 15. She knows if she can just speak to Jesus, her daughter will be healed. The centurion who said, Jesus, my servant is sick. Just say the word. I know he'll be healed. They could see it in their minds that they would be better. Athletes prior to a game, they're sitting in the locker room. They're visualizing the game. Inventors are in visualizing their invention. Writers are doing the same thing with their manuscript. Teachers are not only seeing little monsters at four and five years of age, but they're viewing them and their great potential as they move down the road. That's why I could never be a teacher. <laughs> All I see is monsters. Even lawyers are visualizing the jury and bringing this to a conclusion that needs to be brought. But many times this comes through a process. Now I believe that God has got a miracles. And I believe that God does miracles immediately, but I also believe that he does miracles through a process. And I, like many, are guilty of not giving him credit for the miracles that he does in a process. Miracles that are done right away, boom, no problem. Miracles done in a process, hard to give credit because so many things can happen during time. And I, like many, are guilty of not giving him credit for miracles that happens when it does take a process. I mean, I remember praying for a prayer request and and I kept track of it for days, months, and years. And if I did that to all my prayer requests, I'd give God a lot more credit in my life than I do because I simply don't write these things down. I'm not aware about how much God does along the way. I'm not aware of the process that he does. i like to encourage you to keep a prayer journal. I know I have not been able to do one, you could, but it works. Begin to write down and track how God over time responds to you. The biggest and longest time I ever spent in a prayer journal was praying for a girlfriend in college. Sounds kind of hokey, but I wrote it out because I was a dumb, love-struck fool. I wanted love. At the time, I was real lonely. And I wanted a girl in my life, but no one came. So I started praying to God. I wrote it out. And I kept that journal. And I journaled for over a year and a half that God would prepare a girl for me, but he was really preparing me for her. And that took a while. But eventually that prayer was answered with my future wife, Jeanette, and we've been blessed with over 25 years. So many times, Peter, if you look at his life, trusted, then failed to trust, trusted, then failed to trust. Yet when you look at his life after, after the time when he finally got it, after that final conversion of Jesus, the conversation of Jesus to feed his sheep, you're looking at a man who literally had a dynamic impact on the world, even though he still continued to have failures in his life. We see that in Galatians chapter two, where Paul rebukes him, but nobody's perfect. However, there is a potential exists in the lives of each and every one of us to make an amazing impact in the world. Just read the book of Acts if you want to see Peter's impact on the world. Peter, this numbskull, this, this total normal person who fails repeatedly throughout his life, and even after Jesus rises from the dead, makes such an impact in this world. So we need to be encouraged, because Peter is just like us. Peter had so many destructive patterns that he kept going back to, but he trusted God and he kept at it. So what part of your wheel, that we looked at earlier, has the most destructive patterns, the lowest ratings. That's usually where the most destructive patterns are the ones where the ranking is the lowest. That's where you start to focus on. What area to work on to try to even your ride of life out? We may need to start at the spiritual spoke, as I think it's the most important one, because the kind of the rest rely on that one. We need to begin or renew our relationship with Jesus. That spiritual spoke is the most important. Our understanding of who God is, and it feeds all the other spokes. Remember, because the truth of what who we are and what we're doing all comes from his word. And if our spiritual spoke is short or not cutting it, then it's really going to hamper us on everything else. We need that first. Some of us need a miracle or a breakthrough in our family, our relationships, our friendships, or maybe it's in our mind, in our bodies, or in our finances. So you can trust God with all those seven areas and he's gonna lead you and he will walk with you to the very end. No matter in which area you are struggling with destructive patterns in your life, God can change them. I wanna end on a positive note as I've kind of been kind of and how we all have destructive patterns and we all fail and I'm still struggling with something for the last 25 years. But here's a positive. When my kids were born, I remember praying to God many times that I would raise them, not as my parents raised me. In fact, I I left my job so that I could be a good dad. I changed my entire life around my kids. I told myself I wouldn't hit them. I wouldn't yell at them. Early on, this was not too hard, but man, since becoming teenagers, it's tough. But God has been faithful. And even as I teach my eldest how to drive, I have not once raised my voice, unlike when I was taught. Even as one of my kids screamed in my face and spit on me, I didn't respond in anger. God gave me the strength to face it and not revert to how I was raised. One of my kids watched it with their mouth wide open in shock and told me later, Dad, you handled that awesome. That was a great moment. But I know I have to be careful because in my heart, my anger was seething. I just didn't show it or express it. And it would be careful because I could have easily resorted to the destructive patterns of my childhood that were working right behind I remember the last time, family members spoke like that to me when I was in my home and I put holes in the wall and almost hit hit people that I cared about. It's kind of scary. I know that the destructive patterns in the first 15 years of my life are there. So far God has broken those destructive patterns but let me clarify, I'm not completely free of the past as I still wanna yell sometimes, just that God keeps it inside my head and it doesn't come out as an action. And I go, whew, I'm thankful that I don't turn into that. God kind of broke those destructive patterns, but I need to be wary and not too confident and cocky and prideful that so that they'll come back. So wherever you are on the wheel, whatever destructive pattern you want to break out of, there is hope. There is hope. And i got to say that twice because I need to believe that too. Because God might have healed that part, but I have... Other destructive patterns about food that are terrible. And I want to combat that. I know it's possible in God's strength if I can stop going back to my default position, discover my why, change the tape in my head, and visualize my new life. And I know if you do those four, you too can break any destructive pattern that's going on in your life with the help and strength of Jesus. Well, I hope that encourages you to try to break out. And I will see you next week. God bless.